0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Alan Briggs and I am your podcast host. And friends, first of all, I just want to tell you that we love you. We think about you. We pray for you. We love to hear from listeners how you're being impacted by this. We also want to let you know that we are not just a podcast. At Stay Forth Designs, we exist to help leaders to get healthy and reach sustainable impact. We do that primarily in two ways. The first is coaching leaders to help them clarify their obstacles and their next steps. We get to watch leaders succeed, to win, to grow, to mature, to hone their life and leadership, to be as close as they can to what God has designed them to do and who God has designed them to be. This is an incredible experience that we get to walk alongside of leaders on their journey. We call ourselves mountain guides for the leadership journey. Friends, it's hard, it's challenging. We're not going to pretend that it's easy. It can be perilous leading. However, you can't do it alone. Do not lead in isolation, friends. We come alongside of you as a coach to help you navigate the leadership journey. The second thing we do is we host experiences that help leaders replenish. We go on these four day experiences. Some are all guys, some are all gals, some are co ed. But these are some incredible kingdom leaders who maybe are tired, maybe are overwhelmed but we need to go and get away. As the phrase goes, change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. We slow down, go to a different place, turn off our email, turn off our notifications. We eat amazing food. We have fun together. We have really robust, helpful conversations with other leaders, and we return in a better place than we came. If you are interested in pursuing either coaching to help you clarify or experiences to help you replenish, head on over to stayforth.com. Friends, we want to help you live and lead right side up in this upside down world. Now, on to the podcast. Robert, welcome to the podcast, my new friend.
1: Alan, thanks so much. I'm really honored to be with you
0: we're just sort of letting people public in publicly into what we just started on. I mean, we're we're going for it already. Um that's what we love doing here on the podcast. And let, let's just start with kind of this moment before we get to your message, to your book, to what you do. Where are we in this moment in culture and therefore in leadership culture?
1: It's a great question and and you know you and I were just talking because you are expert this word sabbatical coaching among your other practices and that resonates with me. And it resonates because we're living in, it's easy to say unprecedented times. You know, there's a task force in the U.S. that said stress levels are now so high that all people in the U.S. under 65 should be screened for anxiety. Is that not a crazy time? We all knew there was uncertainty and, and not even due to COVID, epidemic loneliness and rates of anxiety and depression, but we've now reached the ridiculous point because if you already had people who were uncertain due to economic circumstances, then COVID occurred, that was unprecedented. Just think about the fact that there's a world event going on, namely a conflict in the Ukraine, where you have world leaders talking about whether or not there would be a tactical nuclear exchange now, the last time the US faced that conversation was 60 years ago, the Cuban Missile Crisis. But you just think of this overlay on the psyche of all of us, not just people in business. And this is why I love what you are doing, because I believe there must be a spiritual component to this to solve for us to, to have the sense of, of how we will have productive and thriving lives.
0: Man, 100%. And obviously, if a leader is spun out with anxiety, a culture spins out. And we have an inordinate impact on the people around us and people of influence who we're we're going after. If we want to see healthy cultures within businesses, organizations, and families, of course, we have to go at the leader. Uh, it sounds like we have a similar heart for this. Um, we're talking about your book, Right Leader, Right Time. Um, you're the co-author of this book. And what particularly grabbed me is talking about leadership. Um, styles and those four different leadership styles that we're going to kind of poke at. But first of all, how in the world did you get into this work and how do you describe your work?
1: So Olivia and I run a company called Interim Execs. And over many years, about 7,000 executives showed up on our proverbial doorstep. That would be a line about four miles long. And so we developed ranking and scoring and screening. And these two patterns emerged. The first pattern was that the majority of leaders showing up were having careers and leadership journeys that were okay, but not great, not anything to write home about. The flip side was, if you just looked at the top couple percent of executives, oh my God, they're phenomenal, remarkable. And because of our work, we're kind of a global matchmaker. Organizations show up, they need someone in a leadership role. We had this ringside seat. We always do. And so we're asking the board, the owners, how's it going? Is everybody firing on all cylinders? And we're going back to the executive or the team and saying, are you in your highest and best use? Is is everything great? And when invariably the answer was, it's going great, even if it was a crisis. It's like, why? How? And so we spotted this pattern that among these remarkable leaders, there were four distinct leadership styles, as you said fixer artist builder and strategist
0: all right start taking us through those fixer what's that and how would you describe it fixer them?
1: is yeah fixer is the person who is they they run into the burning building now every great leader has to be good at solving problems the difference here is that fixer is the person who has to keep doing that and so you will see a great fixer leader dive into an organization a client relationship, a division, a team. Solve those problems. Could take a month, could take two years. But once that problem is solved, the best thing for them, move on. Next client, division, company, not to stay in the same place. It's funny by the way, fixer. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal today that, that says, you know, there's this thing in corporate America on a Friday night when your manager sends you an email and it says, please fix PLS. FIX. That's not what we're talking about. That's a sandbag. That is an illegitimate move on the part of
0: a manager. We're talking about a deep kind of leadership style. So I would imagine a lot of these fixers end up as consultants, end up ready sort of project to project uh, in that. And um, what about the ones that end up in a long term spot in a role? What happens to the fixer? when there's not a problem to fix?
1: One of the leaders in our book, the guy who actually prompted years ago, uh, this idea for this framework, he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my companies and it's not broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And when we did all of the interviews and research for the book, Right Leader, Right Time, just to kind of tweak these fixers, we interviewed a lot of them. And we said that quote, we thought they'd all get upset they didn't to a man or woman they would say what's wrong with that so the wiring between these four styles is radically different
0: Mm. that's good i know several fixers uh the artist what is the artist how do you describe him
1: artist is the leader who views the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay that they are going to mold artist is what we describe as a compelled style meaning. That you know, when the person on the team who can't help, but trying to rejigger and innovate and think new things, it's not necessarily always to their advantage in career and money and fame. Because in a lot of cases, the artist is the renegade, the outsider, the cantankerous one. One of the artist leaders we interviewed in the book, he was a key person at Intel on Andy Grove's team. Andy Grove was the standout CEO of Intel. And Andy described this artist later, he said he was his wild duck, and he didn't mean it in a way as a compliment, but what he said is you got to have a wild duck on the team. You have to have someone who's not just always saying yes, and who's challenging and making these discontinuous leaps in innovation, even though it may be uncomfortable.
0: And could that be sort of our traditional view of an entrepreneur?
1: Yes, it, it applies to some entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs are not necessarily the most innovative in their company. There are all kinds of drives, but absolutely it applies. My The beginning of my career, highly entrepreneurial, I am very much artist leader as a, a dominant leadership style. And But again, it, it hasn't always been to my advantage. I'm great at thinking things up. Thank God I had a business partner who's practical and operational and can actually execute and tell me when I'm going off the deep end.
0: Me too. Me too. <laughs> and it's, it's no accident that we've ended up in these fields as well. You know, when I think about um, probably as I, as I read through these, probably a combination between fixer and artist. For me, both of those things bring energy. Um, but let's keep going. Excited to hear more. Fixer, artist. The third one is strategist. What's a strategist? How do you describe them? Well, just
1: just for the sake of, uh, the, the, in the book, it's referred to as FABs, F-A-B-S, um, we'll do builder. Builder is, now everyone in business wants to be a builder. We get that. Builder, we mean in the specific sense of the leader who loves to take small team, small products, small service that does not in any way have any market-dominant position and take it to a point of domination, okay? So, And what that builder does when they get there, that's the person who would tend to get bored and will want a new product, new division, new product, new company to go do the same thing all over again. You see this a lot uh, among a lot of leaders who have an IPO or successfully sell a company or division to somebody larger. It, it, for the builder, market is mantra. Dominate. And, and I'm not talking about world. I spent a bunch of time in Boston, and there is a bakery in Boston I love, And, and it is dominant in Boston, and it's great. I've never seen it in any other city. I tell you, there is a builder at the heart of that bakery.
0: That's good. And then the last one, a strategist. What's a strategist? How do you describe or explain them?
1: Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the leader of complex and very large organizations that are way behind, uh, way above what Stephen Covey would call personal span of control. When you think of fixers, artists, and builders, team size could be 10, 20, 50, 100, 200, but generally it's personal relationships and that factors into how they lead. The strategist is in organizations and thousands, tens of thousands. One of the leaders we interviewed in the book is in your neighborhood, Alan, She is Dr. Janine Davidson. She's now the president of Metropolitan State University, but her prior job was being the undersecretary of uh, the Department of Navy, Department of Defense. And Janine talked about what it's like when you have hundreds of thousands of people in an organization and you're, you're talking about systems of systems and how do you influence that. It's a very different kind of leadership journey. And definition of what,
0: of how to create success. Uh, what happens when an organization understands these four and perhaps even how to leverage these four? Just wanna make sure I heard you right. Did you say understands? Yeah, when when they begin to comprehend, oh, there are different styles at work, yeah. and we begin to understand the styles, what happens to that organization?
1: One of the uh, leaders we interviewed, he was the founder of a uh, Networking group called Tiger Twenty One. It's it's a wealth kind of network. And when we described this thesis for the book, fixer, artist, builder, strategist, he said, "You know, this is interesting." He said, "I was an investor in a company where it was in trouble, and the leader was marvelous, and he was awesome." He said, "But you know, once all the problems were solved, he wasn't so good anymore." I thought that's really interesting that. To, for an organization, a team, an individual to have awareness of, of what wires them, how it is that they are wired in terms of leadership style to best apply themselves and for those organizations to best deploy them.
0: And the opposite, when they don't see that there are patterns here, they don't see there are different types of leaders, what happens then?
1: You see this every day. I will give you a, a, a what to me is a glaring example of, of a wonderful person, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, you know, former COO of Facebook, now Meta. Uh, when she signed up, she said it was gonna be a five-year tour of duty. Facebook at the time was a couple hundred employees, serious revenue, 100 million revenue, 100, 100 million people signed up on Facebook. Fast forward seven years. Now it's 70,000 employees, it's 70 billion in revenue. Three or four billion people use it. That, that's the definition of success. She has to be regarded as one of the greatest builder leaders of the modern era. Problem. She stayed another seven years. What happened in the next seven years? Cambridge Analytica scandal. All other kinds of scandals. Wrote a brilliant book called Lean In, but was attacked mercilessly for it. And ultimately, the pivot to meta and to virtual reality. I don't know if she had her heart in it. This points up this kind of self-awareness. And among leaders, we have expectations, right, that we're going to perform well, which is there are absolutely times and situations where it's better to move on.
0: Yeah, Uh, this is so helpful. I'm excited to dive in. I actually think it'd be good for our team as we have a growing team uh, and just an incredible Team, uh, we need to grow in self awareness of these styles. We're sort of coming into our own as an organization, and this becomes increasingly important. Uh, all kinds of signals are going off for me on the organizations that I work with, and sort of a, a self awareness of your own style beyond something like Strengths Finders or Enneagram. Personally, to this is affecting and impacting a lot of people. Um, talk about how, uh, maybe even a process. Robert, for how somebody can honestly assess, um, here's who I am, here's the kind of leader that I actually am for, versus the kind of leader that I want to be?
1: Ah, yes, want to be. So the the number one mistake most leaders make in their career is trying to be all things to all people. It's none of us can do it. And, you know, most of the leaders who are frankly guilty of this, even if we said to them, you know, you're trying to boil the ocean here. You're, you're you're too diluted here. They would say, no, 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 that's not true. Well, if you look at the flip side, someone remarkable, you see this pattern over time where they tend to double down. The thing at which they are great, they tend to do more and more. You, Alan, are an example of this because of Stayforth. You, you know, I can see this progression for you in how this is developing. That it becomes a bit of a flywheel, but but you have this very strong voice for this thing that you are and what you want your team to be. And it is not for everyone. It's just not. Um, So, so you, you, you tend to see this both the thing to avoid, which was the number one reason we wrote the book, which is man, if we could talk to people younger in their leadership journey, there would be this clear message, which is most young people in the beginning, They don't have a clue what their careers in life are going to look like. Got it. But what happens over time is you start developing this feeling that this, not that. This was a better experience. I go this way. And it starts to turn into your path, and it has to be something unique to you. In the book, we're very big on this phrase, highest and best use. And what we say about exceptional leaders is, they tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. And and it takes time going on this journey and listening to this inner spirit within you, which is where you need to go. There is a place for you, but it is not every place.
0: Yes. We say, pay attention to what you pay attention to the things you love, the things you hate, the drains, the fills, Um, the best versus the good. And that becomes increasingly an issue as the success of an organization goes up, the options go up, the disorientation goes up, the decision-making goes up with that decision fatigue. I mean, all these things, you see this you see this every day. Um, we could talk about this for hours, maybe we will at some point, not for today, not on this episode, but we gotta talk about resilience. Everybody's talking about it. Maybe it's becoming a buzzword right now. How can organizations boost resilience when there's change, when there's a loss, when there's tr- transition, and when there's instability?
1: There is a surefire solution here that is easy to say, hard to do. I wanna give you an example. And that surefire solution is the more that the organization, the more the team, and the more the individuals become authentic and genuine with each other, they can weather anything. Now that is easy to say that if you and I are in a team, the more we're in, a, a, in an authentic relationship that I know your strengths, I know what you are great at and love to do, and I'm going to help you get in that. You're going to do the same for me, and the stuff that I'm not great at, you're going to get off my plate. You come into more of highest and best use, and so do I. This is the same thing as your favorite sports team, and I'm from Chicago, and fortunate enough in Michael Jordan's heyday to have watched him play. I'm not a sports guy, but, oh my God, the Chicago Bulls, I thought you could blindfold them and they would still win. This, this innate sense of a team and how to support each other that would work. Now, to give you the flip side, because it's easy to say, oh, I'm authentic with everybody. A friend was telling me the other day he was on a Zoom call, a public company, US public company, and thousands of people in the Zoom call. And the CEO says, we have to all be there for each other. And, you know, because COVID's over, everybody's gotta come back in and be working from the headquarters. Well, a lot of the people in this headquarters, hourly workers, people who had it better when they were able to work part-time remote and they gotta to pay tolls and blah, blah, blah. Every single last person that call knew the CEO lives thousands of miles away from the headquarters and he doesn't come in every day. How do you think that organization will perform over time? We can all see this in the wide open that that person lacks integrity. it cannot be an authentic relationship between him and everyone around him. He's already lying to thousands of people, right? So what we need to seek out first within our teams is something which is the opposite.
0: So good. I I love that call to authenticity. I think it's a buzzword, um, but I think it's crucial right now. A lot of people talking about it, not many doing it that I'm seeing. Um, And I can just say, and with hopefully my team is listening, those are the best conversations we've had. When I say, I've gotten to the end of myself in this, or I don't know why we can't crack the code on this, or how do we serve people better in this? And it's like sort of out of that frustration, Robert, of the end of myself, that is sort of an invitation for a team in. And what I think is going to discourage them often is like, no, that's why we're here. Let's take this on together. Uh, And I'm having to do some unlearning as I'm doing some relearning.
1: Can I share an idea that I've been thinking about, it didn't go go in the book, I I could be totally wrong here, but you know, Oliver Sacks, the famous psychologist, he said, there are two non-pharmacological experiences the human being can have that that are both mentally healing and, and uplifting, nature and music. You think about it, the relationship you have with nature, I know you are very big on outdoors. Is, is it's authentic between an individual. You feel something in your core that's not even always conscious. It, it's this deep level of authenticity you have. It's the same with music, that when you listen to something that affects you deeply, it's beyond a conscious, this is why I like this particular artist, blah, 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 right? We feel it. That same thing occurs for us occasionally in our work where we just hit this high point where the team has just done something and everyone's firing on all cylinders. You are honored. You know, you're being honored. You know, you're in the right place. And, and I hope for people that myself as well, to be able to translate from those, those states of loving, for example, being in nature to, well, how do I get into that state at least some of the time in work?
0: It's so good. Um, I got a lot of questions. We better sign off. But listeners, I want to I call you to this. I want to invite you not just to read their book uh, and co-author here, Robert, Right Leader, Right Time. We're talking about the four styles. Um, but I want to invite you to both read the book and to have conversation with people around you who can hold the mirror up. There's a level of self-awareness I think we could just never get without somebody whether it is a coach that's truly helping you figure that out, not the aspirational leader you want to be, but the actual leader that we are and your team. Uh, Your spouse could tell you pretty well uh, your strengths and weaknesses. And uh, I think that's crucial for us to have friendships. And hopefully we have that kind of example with our team. And I think that's a good call back to self-awareness, back to understanding who we are, how do we make sense? So ultimately we can make some progress uh, and be the healthy leaders, healthy cultures, healthy organizations Um, that truly can change the world. Because we are changing the world. The question is how. And I see a lot of destructive leadership um, largely coming from self-awareness. So any other thoughts you want to kind of close us with on this huge topic of leadership and self-awareness, Robert?
1: Well, Alan, thank you so much. I I think along the same theme, I I would say to your listeners, try a little test for yourself. Try the next time something comes up for you at work, which you don't believe is for your highest and best use, instead of just shrugging and, oh, God, I have to take this on, just stop for a second and think, is there is there something else here? Could it be someone else in the team that I could take part of their burden, the thing that they that, that I love that they don't want to do? Just, just build in a little pause there, because it is one of the things great leaders do. I know it's easy to say. I know it's hard to do. I know you need the job, the money. I get it just build a little pause in there to think for a moment about how to just elevate your own experience. It's right in front of you.
0: Awesome. So good. So helpful, Robert. Great chatting with you. I hope we chat again personally. Thanks for coming in on the podcast and thanks for all your work. Thank you, Alan.